Alright, we're tempting fate by having the microphone pointing at the cat who's already sitting here. This time, she's she's already a loaf. Probably no cat bloopers. Oh, immediately, immediately rubbing your face on it. Good job, Missy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, Missy. (laughs) Missy, pay attention to me. Missy, no. Hello, and welcome to Foss and Crafts, a podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together, with my co-host Morgan, and my co-host Christine. So what are we talking about today? Today, we are going to uh, do a very, very brief introduction to cryptography. Why did this episode come about? I, through Foss and Crafts Studios LLC, have been contracting with a company called Digital Bazaar, who work on digital credentialing software, well, and what they do. And they also do decentralized identity standards. That's, yes. That's the big part. Yeah. So I spent a couple of weeks doing research, and during that research period, at one point I asked Christine, hey, can we just, like, go on a walk and talk about what cryptography is? Yeah, and so after the walk, you were like, well, that was a lot easier than anything I found online. So we figured maybe this would be a good podcast episode. So this is not an ep- If you are a cryptographer, like if you have implemented anything in cryptography, if you know what Diffie-Hellman is and have actually tried writing a Diffie-Hellman implementation, this is probably not the episode for you. If you teach cryptography, if you've taken a... Tr- cryptography class this is probably way more basic than you're looking for but this is an episode for kind of cryptography for kind of the average person to give them a good sense of how cryptography works and uh in this house crypto means cryptography that's a i stole that line from me hashman by Mm -hmm. the way but we should actually define what cryptography is Going into the walk my definition of cryptography was very basic just using math to keep information secure. Right. And that's actually a very good description. And mine was basically uh, pretty much the same, except I, I was more specific about two things, you know, using math to keep information secret and using math to verify information. Which Both are... of which are to keep the info secure. It's right. just two different functions. It's two different functions. And then, like, before we started the episode, you were like, well, maybe I should open up, like, this... Dif- we have a physical dictionary here. Yeah, Morgan's flipping through the pages. And uh, this 20-year-old dictionary from when we were in college, like what its definition of cryptography would be. And at first you didn't even see it. At first I was looking and the dictionary just goes from crypt to crystal. And I'm like, wow, they don't even have cryptography in there. And then I looked more closely and I'm just going to read the whole definition they have under crypt. So it's a noun, vault, especially under a church. Cryptic, adjective, secret, mysterious. Cryptically, adverb. Cryptogram, a piece of writing in code. Or cryptography, noun, the art of writing and decoding ciphers. So they have cryptography, but it is just a sub-definition under crypt. I never thought about 
Well, I mean, I guess crypt just generally means like secret, right? In some way, like, yeah. In in ancient Greek, uh, cryptos means hidden or secret. But but the connection to vault made me think, you know what? From now on, um, with like crypt being a vault, like I'm gonna call cryptographers vaultomancers. Mm-hmm. So vaultomancers everywhere who may be listening to this episode. Not the episode for you, but um, thank you for doing vaultomancy to keep our lives secure. Yeah, and if you think of a crypt as being a hidden vault, then cryptography is a hidden vault where you can store your information. Yes, but there's also the verification upon it. And then, after looking at this uh, 20-year-old physical dictionary, we just did a search for the definition of cryptography, and according to Wikipedia, it is the practice and study of techniques for secure communication in the presence of adversarial behavior. So in other words, if there's someone who might be trying to access your information, this is how you go about mitigating those chances. Yeah. And and actually, I love that definition. But I think that a lot of people don't realize just how much everybody relies on cryptography these days, right? Like, because no. you're... If you ever go to a website and you see like the lock and it's on your in your browser and it says like HTTPS, the S stands for secure or SSL depending on how you interpret that. But it's uh, but doesn't um, SSL isn't one of those S's secure? I yeah, I think it has to do with secure. I think it's secure socket layer. But now so it's, it's secure either way. But now it's called transport layer security TLS. But oh. you know, pretty much the same thing. That still has security in it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so the point is, is that, you know, every time you visit a website where, you know, especially if you're doing anything, like financial stuff is a place where everybody's like, oh, yeah, you need cryptography for that. But really, you need cryptography for all sorts of things. If you're doing grading of a student, right, you know, privacy of like student confidentiality is important. Yeah, if you're going to the doctor or if you are a doctor, then you need cryptography to make sure that like HIPAA laws are in compliance yeah a lot making sure that your logins are secure so that you can act as you without other people being able to um, impersonate you and etc all this stuff involves cryptography and obviously there's a lot more advanced uses of cryptography out there but everybody's lives every day in the age of the internet um, involves uh, today involves cryptography mm-hmm. yeah so As we mentioned above, cryptography basically has two functions. One is to keep info secret, which is basically encryption. Mm -hmm. And the other one is to verify information. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to talk about the basic example for cryptography, which is say you want to send a message to someone and you don't want someone else to figure it out, whether... That is, you are a kid and you've got siblings and you do not want them to read your letters to your best friend. Or if you are, you know, sending national security secrets or something like that. Yeah, I mean, so, well, there's there's two different ways in which sending a message you would want it to be secure, right? So we talked about encryption and verification. So one is making sure that the message came... It, one of them is making sure that nobody else can read the message and that's the encryption side. And then the other one would be making sure that the message came from the appropriate person, right? And so these, you know, even if you think about a messenger on foot, this has existed, you know, for ages, right? And yeah. um, 
we'll we'll get to the keeping it secure in just a second but even, let's just look at the verification side like for basically a couple millennia people relied on like seals and signatures and signatures and insignia which basically the the thing was is just that oh well forging a signature or even more so forging a seal was just considered you know to be difficult and also it was you know you were under threat of punishment for doing so basically Mm -hmm. um so so the and and this has been used for secure information for like ever for things like signing contracts or writing a check right and and when rings and like metalwork are sufficiently uncommon and your number of adversaries who are like going to try to intercept your messenger and like put a different wax seal on things are like low enough it might be secure enough to be able to get messages through but these days that's obviously not strong enough so we want something stronger let's talk about encryption as in terms of keeping information secret as something that goes all the way back, like literally millennia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, we are going to start with talking about Caesar's cipher or ROT 13 or the shift cipher. Yeah, ROT standing for rotation. You know, when I was trying to think of the name of this, I was thinking, I was like, it's the Caesarian cipher. And I'm like, wait, that can't. That That's can't a different right. thing. <laughs> yeah, okay. So anyway, let's do a simple version of things. So the reason why it's sometimes called ROT 13 or rotation, you know, like the 13 rotation version is imagine i want to send a message to you and i want to make it so that other people can't read it looking at the english alphabet there's only 26 letters in it you know you know ignoring case of uppercase lowercase mm-hmm. it there's only 26 letters now if you ignore spaces and periods that means that half of that is 13 so i guess if you want to add spaces and periods you can make it rot 14 instead and the same idea would apply for now we'll just go with the traditional term of rot 13 just the idea is you move forward for 13 characters from a right but it, you know if you get do something towards the end of the alphabet you could just wrap around if you hit the end of it right and just keep going so that's enough where i would be able to write something and it would look like gibberish and i if i sent this to you and you know this is how the cesarean wait, no caesar cipher worked and keep in mind there's no spacing or punctuation in this because you're only doing rotation by 13 right okay and so let's assume it's 14 and then we do have spacing and punctuation then it it arrives at your at your door and if you know that this is that we're using rot 13 or 14 or whatever it is you'll be able to make sense of it even though somebody on the way would be confused but of Mm -hmm. course there's a problem with this what's the problem with this well, there's a couple of problems with this. One is there's no spacing or punctuation, so you have to figure out where things are. Although that would be less problematic for a Roman, because if anyone has ever looked at Latin epigraphy knows that they often didn't include spacing or punctuation. Yeah, but let's assume we're doing ROT 14, so that's not so bad, right? And the other one is once you know, you know. Right. And so if you're writing all of your messages in this specific cipher and someone figures out the cipher they can read all of your messages right so this this doesn't scale it might scale when you're early on and figuring out the ideas of cryptography but let's say we wanted to make this a little bit more advanced so what i could do is i could write down on one piece of paper 
and send it to you via one messenger, a, um, a key that I write down, you know, like one, four, eight, three, 23, 19, blah, blah, blah. And I'll just go with that for, let's say, at least as long as the length of whatever message I'm going to send you. And I send that off with some messenger, right? And then I encrypt another message using the number of rotation, like basically the shift number from each one of those things on another piece of paper, and I send that to you via a different messenger. Now, if anybody intercepts one of those messengers, they won't be able to read the message, right? Each of those things independently are just going to look like gibberish. That's right. And um, and in fact, if I handed, if I had given you, we could have even done it where I prearranged it, where I handed you a stack of these things ahead of time and we knew we were going to do them in an order. And then really we would know for sure that like, you know, if we kept those under lock and key, we could be very sure that, you know, just sending it even with one messenger, since you had it ahead of time effectively, that that these messages are going to be secret. Yeah, so this is called a one-time pad. So a one-time pad is basically this very approach where you create a single-use key that's at least as long as your message, Mm -hmm. and you only use it once. Yeah. The reason you only use it once is because if you reuse it, each time you reuse it, it becomes easier to actually decode the message. That's right. If I sent you you know, several messages and you could guess that I started off with hello for the first two, but then you would actually see the same characters on the first two messages, right? Mm -hmm. And then you would be able to say, okay, well, on the third message, I if it doesn't start with hello, I'd be able to know what that is, right? And you can just basically keep slowly figuring out what the message is going to be by by kind of like, you know, multiple analyses and passes over this so that's that's no good yeah so this is perfect cryptography because if you are literally just using the pad once and you have your separate messengers and you keep them separate enough it's pretty much perfect right people can't just break the code right if if you can yeah as long as somebody's only intercepting one of them or even better if you have the stack of them ahead of time mm-hmm. then it's not going to break right so but the the problem is is that creating two channels where you're sure that one of them is not going to be broken through very difficult mm-hmm. and um like that's generally not going to work on the internet and the me giving handing you a stack of these one time pads ahead of time that's also not realistic right yeah. So it's perfect, but it's really not practical. It's not practical. It's perfect in a mathematical sense. And, and we should note that like actual versions of this would, if you can encode any kind of information, not just like the English alphabet in binary using kind of something like the same approach we talked about, but called z- using the ZOR operator, the exclusive OR. But that's not important here. Just know that they that's what you would actually do. Since you can't reuse this, a lot of approaches kind of extend this idea with having, you know, the, the way that that key ends up encrypting things with what's called a stream, which we won't get into the details of it, but it lets you basically start with some sort of key and kind of extend the usage of that key. There's all sorts of tricky things involved in that, but we're not going to get into all the different encryption cipher details because... 
Because there are so many of them and there's such a long history of encryption and cryptography that that would be an entire podcast separate on its own. I'm sure that podcast exists out there somewhere and you can go and find it and listen to it. This is just a very brief introduction. Right. Um, So there are two different categories of cryptography, though. One of them is symmetric cryptography. Which means that both sides have the same key. So this is the kind of cryptography that probably if you're a preteen writing letters to your best friend and you don't want your siblings to read, you're probably going to do some sort of cipher that both of you have the same key. Right. Um, But then there's also asymmetric cryptography, also popularly known as public key cryptography. And it... I guess asymmetric means it's the opposite of symmetric, Mm -hmm. which means that both sides don't have the same thing. Yeah. So with this method, you've got two keys. One of them is public that you display broadly and you give out your public key to other people. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is your private key that you keep secret. Right. So, and we can imagine this would be useful if, for example, we wanted to be able to give a message not just between two besties, but... to anyone in the class, but where we assume that these messages can be found. And if you knew the keys of the individual students, like their public keys, you'd be able to send a message to that student specifically. But if somebody caught it during class, they wouldn't be able to read it, right? And you don't... And If your teacher intercepts the note and reads it out loud, they're not going to spill your secrets. Yeah, your teacher's not going to be able to uh, understand it, neither are the other students who are passing it along. So, um, so this is where kind of the, the heart of the description I gave on the walk was, where you, where we thought it made a lot more sense. The usual way of describing asymmetric cryptography, public key cryptography involves like a, a box with two keys that does not resemble the way that a box works at all in the real world. So I find that weird. So the example that I gave instead was, when you create one of these public-private key pairs, you basically create two machines at the same time. And you can, in theory, you know, since it's just data, you can duplicate these as much as possible. But this is the metaphor, is two machines, right? So um, I'm going to keep one of these machines secret. You know, I'm going to maybe lock it in my bedroom or whatever it is I'm going to do so that other people can't access it. Um, but then the that's my private key. And then the public one, I hand out to everyone. And the way that it works is you feed a piece. Like, so if I want to send a message to you, Morgan, and we're going to have our cat, Missy, uh, deliver the message on her back. And we don't want the cat to read the message, assuming she was smart enough to do that. I mean, she would also not be a reliable messenger. This is completely true. <laughs> Gotta go with this. Me- this is a good metaphor, Morgan. Okay. It's good enough. Um, so we have a carrier cat. We have a carrier cat. Um so what I what I what I would do is having this public key box that you gave me. It's like I feed this piece of paper into the input side and it spits out another piece of paper that it prints out with all this gobbledygook. Now Missy, being the very smart cat she can, she is, she can deliver this to you without Missy being the very in, incredibly smart and obviously literate cat not being able to read this nonetheless, right? Because it looks like gobbledygook to Missy. Mm-hmm. But it comes to you, and you, you've you stored your secret box somewhere. So how does yeah. your private bo- key box work? So I take that gobbledygook message, and I feed it through my private key box. And then that takes that gobbledygook and 
puts it into a format that I can read, but just me. Yeah, my that's, box. That's right. So it's it'll be the same message that I put in on the the on the input end on my end. It basically comes out on the output on uh, your end. But Missy was able to share that gobbledygook message in the middle without without being able to read it. No. So Missy won't know that we're we're planning on giving her treats, basically, right? She'll Obviously, have she'll have suspicions because she always has suspicions that we're going to give her treats. She always thinks we're going to give her treats. It's true. Yeah. Um, especially if we're in the kitchen. This but is very she wouldn't be able to verify that. She wouldn't be able to verify it. Um, she she wouldn't know. Yeah, so actually, wait, let's talk about verification. Because actually, maybe maybe there's a different thing. We want, let's say, um, I want I want to send you a message saying, I think we should feed the cat. And I don't, and you know, um, whether or not that's encrypted at this point, let's, maybe it doesn't matter. What we want to make sure now is that Missy can't forge it and write down the thing saying, I think we should give Missy food, right? Because maybe, maybe I'm actually saying a thing, don't give Missy treats, right? Yeah. The message should be the message that I mean to give. Well, and also cats and dogs lie all the time and tell you with their eyes that they haven't been fed when they absolutely have. Right. So let's reverse it. This time I've got the private key that I'm using and mm-hmm. you've got the public key associated with my private key, right? So in this version of things, I'm going to feed the um, I'm going to feed the piece of paper that says yes, I want to feed Missy. Feed it into that uh, into the box of my hand, and what it spits out is a signature, mm-hmm. right? And then Missy can deliver that to you. Messengers don't always have to be this interested in the the, the <laughs> result, obviously, but Missy can give it to you. And you'd be able to feed it into the public key machine. And verify that, yes, it was you, Christine, the human with thumbs and thought processes, that uh, said it's time to feed Missy. As opposed to Missy trying to trick me and telling me that it's time to feed her when it's not. That's right. So we can imagine like a red or a light, a, a green light flashing, depending on whether or not it was it passed the signature test. So that's basically the metaphor that you should think of with public key cryptography so this sounds like magic probably so just to give an idea of how these types of things work there are things that are called one-way functions they're basically like math that works in one direction so for example if you remember from grade school you might remember that every now and then your teacher might assign you a task that's like oh factor this number and you have to figure out all the different numbers that can be multiplied together to create that number and it was like kind of like a pain in the butt process to kind of like do that and it would take a while but once you had those numbers it was really easy to multiply them all together and you'd be able to get the same number again it was much easier to multiply them together to verify the thing than it was to separate it out into its individual parts right well that's called a one-way function or a trapdoor function it's easy to go through one way but not through the other so that actually is kind of the heart of how the first publicly known public key cryptography system worked, um, which is called RSA. And it used basically prime number magic to be able to do encryption and signatures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, we've talked a lot about the areas of cryptography that keeps information secret. And a little bit about verifying, but you wanted to go into a little bit more detail about some of the ways of verifying. 
Yeah, there's specifically a different kind of way of verifying information and also kind of creating, constructing like secure names or identifiers for things, which is called hashing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in the analog version of this, basically we're relying on things having a unique identifier, right? So if you think about books, you have book titles, which to some extent might be unique identifiers, but you could have multiple books that have the same title, right? Mm -hmm. So then you go further, and if you've got some sort of governing body, you can have things like the ISBN, which is a longer gobbledygook number that has a unique identifier for that specific book. Then you have... Another system, which is used in libraries, called the Dewey Decimal System, which is more of a kind of local unique identifier. So individual libraries don't necessarily have the same Dewey Decimal number as other libraries have for the same book. And in fact, if you try to look up one Dewey Decimal number and then you walk over to another library, you might accidentally run into what's called the collision which is where you're like, oh, wait, you know, we kind of mix these library systems together and this number actually means a different thing here and actually grab the wrong book or something yeah. like that. But also the Dewey Decimal System can encompass books that maybe don't have an ISBN. So if you go to the special collections at your library and they've got a book that was written before ISBNs were a thing, or if you have CDs or videos or something like that that are also in the library but don't have ISBNs. The Dewey Decimal System can um, still give a unique identifier to those things. Yep. So in both of these scenarios, there's some specific entity that's in charge of choosing these identifiers, right? So Whether that's like the government or the library as a centralized authority. Right. But what if we wanted to create a unique identifier based off of the content, right? So what if you were able to scan the entire book and all the words and letters in there? And let's assume it's a very precise scan. You get every single letter exactly as it is in the book, and it automatically generates a name for that, right? Like it automatically generates a number. Then, you know, if two people have the same book and they're exactly the same, they would be able to generate the same That's basically what a hash is, right? A hash generates a unique identifier for this document. Yeah, based off of the content of the document, not like the title or something like that. Um, Now, hashing does kind of resemble... So this doesn't require, you know, a centralized institution with ISBN. It's also more general where it's going to work no matter where things are. And in the case of hashing, there's a whole lot of useful things you can do with it. But let's just focus on one for right now, which is that since this is based off of the content and hashing in um, cryptography involves even if a single character or letter changes inside of a document, it'll create an entirely different number. You can, for example... Notice you can have a file that you're going to download and also have the hash. And if you hash it after you get the file, if there was some error during transmission, you would know that the file was corrupt and you needed to re-download it, right? Um, And if you did that for each chunk of file as it came in, like you could actually 
only download the chunk, re-download the chunk that you needed. And this is verifying, right? It's secure in the sense of ensuring the integrity of the thing. One thing about hashing is that it's a one-way function. So if you have a document that has been hashed, but you don't have the document itself, you can't reverse engineer it. Yeah, you can't get the document's contents from just the hash. Yeah. There is a kind of a flip side to this, though, which is that if you know somebody who, you know, they you said, oh, hey, could you give me a document that has this hash? They would be able to actually give that to you and anybody could, could give that to you. And this is actually an idea called content address storage. Imagine you want to set up a global file sharing system where anyone could store any file. And if a server goes down, the content survives right, then what you can do is just, instead of referring to things by, you know, coolcat.jpg, you refer to it by the hash, and then anyone who happens to have that hash could be responsible for sharing that for you, and it's just as good as anyone else who is going to share it for you that way. And that's a way to be able to build some decentralized storage, and it's at the heart of some other, you know, systems that have been built. Um, So... So yeah, you can't figure out the content just from the hash, but you can actually do something kind of in the opposite direction, which is that you can use it as a foundation for something where nobody's in charge of being the specific authority of that content. Yeah. So it is decentralized. Right. So there are a lot of things that can be said about cryptography. Yeah, if you're interested in more of this, and actually if you enjoyed this episode, we could talk about some more specific things in the future. So we'd love feedback. You know, you yep. can always email. All our information is coming up in, in the contact information on yeah. the end of the episode. If you are one of those people who's a cryptographer and an expert in the field and you uh, would like to help us with more uh, future episodes, also feel free to reach out. Yeah, to us. Um, and in the meanwhile, we'll put some information in the show notes if this if you found this stuff interesting. There's a whole lot of resources out there where you can learn more. And I guess let's just end it by saying thank you for all the to all the Voltomancers out there yes. for all of their hard work in keeping our lives secure. Yes. All right. On that note, thanks. Bye. Bye, Bye everybody. Boss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Christine Lemmerweber. The intro music is composed by Christine Lemmerweber, meaning myself, in Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC0 1.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts at octodon.social, on Twitter as at Foss and Crafts, or you can email us podcast at fossandcrafts.org. We also have a chat room. Join our community on hash Foss and Crafts on irc.libera.chat. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash foss and crafts. That's it for this week. Until next time, stay free. And stay crafty.
should we should we get in so there's one more definition uh that we consulted and that was just doing a wait hold on hold on let the cat settle no (laughs) cat (laughs) you were loafed (laughs) you were being a good loaf we thought maybe this episode you wouldn't cause any problems it was false it was misguided of us okay um so the i do you want to explain this or should i explain this you can explain it i thought we were waiting because missy was being a butt yeah Get bye here, missy. oh my god my dress i'm covered in miasma i'm covered in miasma well this is not surprising miasma being the name for ambient cat hair i guess it if this is appears as a blooper. <sighs> we said we'd get a black kitten and we got this white cat. And all my clothes are black. And I'm covered in miasma. And Warren's like, I wonder what this 20-year-old dictionary from when we were in college. Yes, also, that's terrifying. So you would say, okay, well, this one is going, you know, um, you know, if you start with A, you move forward, you know, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q. Um, you that's... just went more than 13. Oh, yeah, I went to 16. Yeah. All right, I should... <laughs> let's not do that live. Um, so, wait, okay, it's A. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to do that live. That's embarrassing. Wait, let's... I'm failing to count, and I'm failing my alphabet at the same time. 